want to stay out of conflict. I, I can't stand it. I don't want tension. I, I just, I, I want peace. I want resolution. Like, I cannot stand. Then there are some of us, like, you love it. And you love some conflict, you know. Have you ever seen like a game of like of hockey? Like I don't ever watch hockey, but some of my favorite players in hockey are just the ones that are just out skating, waiting to like shoulder shoulder block somebody, like just out looking for it on the prowl. Like some of you are like that. You love some conflict, always in the middle of some drama. I don't know about your philosophy, but I'm sure each and every single one of us, we've had conflict in our lives. We've had conflict in our families. We've had conflict in our neighborhoods. How many of you got a Facebook neighbor, like a neighborhood Facebook page? Like how many of you got, like you've been in some conflict there. We've got one for the city of Goose Creek, man. Sometimes I just want to take some popcorn and just watch, just watch what's happening. But we all have had conflict. Sometimes it even happens with our friends. Sometimes it even happens inside the local church. Sometimes that happens, right? But here's what I know, is that you are sinful, you're sinful, you're a person that has sin in your life, and if I'm sinful, and she's sinful, and he's sinful, guess what? Sinful people, you put them together, and guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a bunch of sin, all right? You're going to have a bunch of conflict. Whether it's about the color of the carpet, whether it's about having babies that like, you want to put on a poster instead of a t-shirt. Conflict Resolution, Office Season 2, for those of you who didn't know where that is. That was an inside joke that just did not land at all. Some of you don't watch The Office. Conflict Resolution Season 2, go check it out. No matter what it's about, we all have conflict, and some of it's not even bad. You just disagree on the issues. It's, it may not even be a, a bad type of conflict. You just might happen to disagree about something. James here is no stranger to conflict. He's no stranger to it. You've got to think about it with me for just a second. Like, he's the brother of Jesus, but he didn't believe in him. Can you imagine growing up in a household where you've got Jesus in the family and at dinner and, and just doing errands and stuff like that, and you're the brother of Jesus? Like, that's how you get known. You get recognized. I can't imagine, like, growing up inside that type of household. He didn't believe in him. Like, he didn't want to follow Jesus. And not only that, but he came to believe in Jesus after the resurrection. And, and then he saw his own brother. Like he saw his brother in the middle of mobs at certain times. Like people were chasing after him with, with stones ready to kill his own brother Jesus. Like the most controversial figure in all of human history. James saw that. Like he saw the conflict. He saw the controversy. And then he gets ready. He, he becomes this pastor of a church in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem at this point in time is the most hostile place like towards Christianity. And so if you're a Christian here, like they just had to disperse because of so much conflict, because of so much uh, persecution. And James is one of the leaders of this church, and he's seeing conflict all over the place, all over the city. And not only that, but he's writing this letter to this specific church, and he's writing this letter to address conflict within the church. And it's almost like, man, we've got all this pressure going on from without. There's all this 
external source of conflict. There's all this external source of pressure that we have on us, church. And it's like, man, and we've even got it within our own body. You can't avoid conflict. You can't avoid conflict. To avoid conflict means to avoid relationships. And we don't want to do that, right? To avoid conflict means to avoid relationship. Again, it goes back to our sinful nature. In James, in just a second, in chapter 4, James is going to show us how, why conflict starts and how to handle it in a way that honors the world and a way that we, can, uh, that we can address conflict in such a way that honors God. Because that's what we're after, right? We just want it to be over. We just want resolution. How do we get, how, how do we solve it? How do we handle conflict? How do we resolve it? What's the right way to go about it? You see, James is going to give us two solutions and two specific ways that we can approach conflict. He's going to give us two ways. You see, the first approach that we can address conflict with is to dig your heels in and say, I'm going to win. You aren't going to beat me. I'm going to dig my heels in and you will respect me because I am right. James says this way to approach conflict, he says this is worldliness. And he calls this worldly. He says if you want to have that approach, you want to have that attitude where it says it's all about me and that whatever I I get, what I want, I'm going to dig my heels in. You're going to respect me. You're going to like me. You're going to, I'm going to win, buddy. James says that this is worldliness. Where there's no reconciliation. Where there's no hope for restoration whatsoever. And he says that the second approach, the second approach to, to conflict is, is the godly way. It's the godly approach. And it's not so much the question of how do I win. It's not so much the question of, okay, how, how do I get this person to see it my way? How do I make them respect me? But this godly approach says not how do I win, but it asks the question, how does God win and how does God get what he wants in the midst of this conflict? How many times... How many times in the middle of whatever you got going on have you just stopped, pulled back and says, you know what, man, what honors God in this situation? How does God get what He wants in the midst of this situation? How is God honored through this? You see, the first one, the worldly approach, it's very natural. It's very natural. Like, you don't have to be taught how to do it. It just happens. It's our nature. It's our sin that lives within us. And the second way, the godly approach, it, it's supernatural. can't be done in the flesh. It can't be done on our own. It is a supernatural approach that God has to bring about. So if you are there in James chapter 4, go ahead and say, I got it. Good, man. Y'all all with me. Y'all want to know about this one. I like it. James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is empty with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself mm, an enemy of God. And so James is talking about why conflict starts in the first place. Did you know? Did you notice and, and see in there why he says that conflict starts? He says it starts in this worldly approach. It is driven by our passions and our desires. We just love to be in tension. We're angry. We're fueled by our anger. We're fueled by our passions and by our desires. And he says that you murder, you covet, you fight, you quarrel, you bicker back and forth. You say, I've got to be right. He says that the reason that comes about is because of your passions and your desires. It's this worldly approach is driven by your passions and your desires. It's this anger that lives within you. It's this desire that lives within you. This sinful desire that says, I've got to be right. This sinful desire that says, I've got to be respected. This sinful desire that says, I don't have, my neighbor has, and I want it. And if I don't get it, then I'm going to make life miserable for everybody. You see, this, this, the, these wordings that we see here, your passions and your desires, we see that throughout the Bible. That's a common thread that we see all throughout the New Testament. We see it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen, here it is among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, that's how we used to be. And anybody who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior... Anybody who does not have the power of the Holy Spirit transforming them in their life, that's how they live. That's how they operate. They operate through the passions and through the desires of the body. Whatever the flesh tells them to say, they're going to say it. Whatever the flesh tells them to want and to crave, they're going to crave it. Whatever it is before Christ, in their sinfulness, in the passions of the flesh... And he's writing this to the local church and he's saying that you're being driven around and you're being moved by the same desires that you had before you came to know Christ. And it's causing havoc inside our church. Saying you desire and you do not have, you, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And the second thing that we see about that is that this is what we see in the world around us. This is what they saw in the world around them, that they were constantly seeing friends and neighbors and so forth. And the way that they used to live, it's how the world operates. I don't know about you, but last week, uh, election season it actually seemed to go by a little bit more civil than in recent history. But a lot of times that's 
Those passions, like I, I got to dig my heels in. I'm right. Your side is wrong. We're driven about by anger, by desires, uh, uh, sinful passions, and there's no sitting down. This is what we see in the world around us. You see, the world operates this way because it has no life. That's what he just said in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, you were by nature. You were by nature. Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The rest of mankind, it has no life. And so it operates out of this mode and out of this default mode led by the flesh and led by evil desires. And make no mistake about it, whenever James says in verse 4, he says, Therefore, whoever wishes to to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, whenever we replicate the behaviors that we see in the world, we're making ourselves friends with the world and enemies of God. Come on, James. And James is saying, don't let what you see out in the world reign inside the local church. Don't let it happen. Don't be driven by the passions. Don't be driven by the desires of the flesh. But it doesn't just stop there. So that's the worldly approach, right? That's that's the worldly side of things. And he doesn't just stop there. He goes on. There is a godly approach to this. This is some good news, so to speak, in verse 5. He says, Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He is made to dwell in us? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And He's saying to this, to this church at Jerusalem that's now dispersed, He's saying, If you have this Holy Spirit, you need to know that His Spirit that lives within you, He is yearning for that. He wants that Spirit to be alive and not the flesh. Or do you suppose that there's no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. That should be some sort of indication, right? Some sort of indication. You see, you and I, we have this common enemy. We have this common enemy, and it's nobody that you see in this room. We have one common enemy, and the capital C Church, the Church of Christ, has one common enemy. And it's not in this room. That common enemy is Satan himself. And he wants to attack us. And the best way to attack the church is to do it from within, right? That's the best way to attack anybody. If you can get some seed planted from within that could just worm its way through the entire congregation, then guess what? Satan wins. And so his attack against the church is never against, it's never some like outside force that we see. Sure, that happens, but nine times out of ten, churches break up and churches split. Churches quarrel and fight with each other because of something Satan's doing. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some promise there, there's some hope there. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands. You sin. I told y'all, James just comes right out and says it, man. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. You know those places and times whenever you, you just you want to really dig your heels in and like you're really happy and then all of a sudden like God just he kicks that bucket right out from under you that you were standing on and you oh man you're really humbled and he's saying let that be you let let your your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom over the fact that you were fighting with your brothers and sisters over the fact that you've allowed Satan to run and reign inside the church so what he says about this godly approach, first of all, he says that this godly approach is driven by the Spirit of God. Notice the difference that the worldly approach is driven by the passions of the flesh. It's driven by the desires that we had before we came to know Christ. But this godly approach to conflict is driven by His Spirit. It's driven by the Spirit of God that lives within those who claim to follow him. What does that look like? We see that in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires, again, talking about the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The Spirit tells you one thing, and in your mind you're thinking another. Go figure. For, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. It actually exists in our city, by the way. We, we see that all the time. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, these, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It no longer exists. The old you, if you claim to know Jesus, the old you, it better not be alive. And it better not be walking and making decisions. Because if you live by the Spirit, the flesh that used to live within you, he says, it better be dead. And you see, that belonging to Christ and crucifying the flesh, listen, it has been done once and for all. But there's also this process where every single day that you wake up, 365 days a year, that you have to resubmit yourself to Christ and say, I die to the old person that I used to be. 
Your eternal security, it's secured, it's there, but every single day that you live, you continue to to just clean the slate. I'm down on my knees. I ask you, God, Lord, I submit myself to you. No longer me, no longer the passions, no longer the desires of the flesh, but your spirit living within me now reign and now go to work. Now interact with my neighbors or now interact with my friends, with my coworkers. So many times we don't do that. We don't do that. You see, this godly approach, it's led by the Spirit of God who lives within us. And how is it brought about? He tells us exactly how it's brought about. He gives us the formula. He gives us the recipe. Look, in in verse 5, he starts right there. He says, are you supposed... Uh, the scripture says he yearns jealously. It's the spirit that lives within you, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the, come on, say it with me. God gives grace to the humble. And he goes on to say God, op- God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says submit yourselves to God. He says humble yourselves before the Lord. You see, in this worldly approach to conflict, we're always trying to to one-up the other person, right? Like, if you can imagine, like, we're equal, right? If we're in conflict with somebody else, we're equal and we're on equal, like, footing and we're equal standing. And what we want is we want them to lower themselves and we want them to respect us. We want them to to understand that, that, man, I'm the man. They just need to respect me. They just need to get below me, so to speak. We want to get up above or over the other person and lord something over them. And James is saying right here, no, 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 no. You are to humble yourself. Submit yourselves to God. Humble yourself before the Lord. You see, Christianity is not about trying to get up over somebody else, even in a fight, even in conflict. Christianity says that I've taken the posture of continuously for the rest of my life, lowering myself for the rest of my days. Christianity takes this approach that says it's not about me and it's not about what you think about me and it's not about even being right. There's nobody who's ever been right other than Jesus Christ who died. And you know what? He was even convicted and found guilty of something he didn't even do. So guess what? You just might have to take the hit. You just might have to take the hit. It's not about you. It's not about your story. It's not about your ego. It's not about your legacy. Because when you say, I've been crucified with Christ, you've taken for the rest of your life the path of humility. You've taken the path of submission. Look at verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Let's play a little game real fast. Who will exalt you? It says He, right? Who is He? It's God. God Almighty. God is saying, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. So why do we try to take the path of pride so that we can be exalted by others instead of lowering ourselves in a posture of humility so that we can be exalted by God? 
Is that because we value what people in the flesh, what men and women think about us over what God says and over what God thinks about us? I don't know about you, but so many times in my life, when I need to just let it go, take the path of humility, I would rather be exalted by man than just be exalted by God. So, so humbling you are, James. <laughs> Verse 11. It says, Do not speak against one another. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. You know, I love that about James. We've, we've seen that we're in chapter 4 now. And even after so much scolding that he's done with this particular church, he, he keeps reiterating brothers. It's like brothers, brothers, brothers. We're family, right? We're working through this together. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for progress. Brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I want you to think about this with me for just a second, okay? Think about it with me for just a second. James is saying, do not speak evil against one another. And so he's saying, if you speak evil against a brother or sister or even judge a brother or sister, you've made yourself a judge. You've put yourself in the seat of judge and jury. And James is saying, there's only one judge. And it ain't you. There's only one lawgiver. And it ain't you. So when you make yourself a judge or a lawgiver, whenever you make yourself someone who says, I'm better than this other person and I, I judge them and, and they're just not doing the right thing and I, I, I have judgment on them, James is saying that you've made yourself a God. James is saying that you've put yourself in the position and in the seat where you lord over them and you've made yourself and essentially played the role of God over somebody because there's only one judge and you're trying to insert yourself as judge. Man, that's tough. Now, what am I not saying? What is James not saying? Okay, let me just back up just a second. Okay, so you, some of you, maybe you're like me, and if I was sitting out there in the seat, here's what I'd be thinking. So I'm just supposed to let everybody run over me? Like, so I'm just supposed to let everybody say something about me, and, and if it ain't true, just take the high road. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm certainly not saying that you don't need to defend yourself. I'm certainly not saying that, that you need to go down this road and, and allow people to, to, to hurt you and allow people to condemn you, and, and you're just supposed to never say anything, never be in conflict. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there are two approaches to such conflict. There is a worldly way to handle it and there is a godly way to handle it. The worldly way says, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to be ruthless. We're, gonna, we're, we're, doing like, we're, we're going dirty tactics, like taking the gloves off. Where's the brass knucks? We're going at this tooth and nail. And I'm going to be just as sinful as you. I'm just saying, don't take that approach. I'm saying you're going to want to take that approach. 
there are going to be people that say things about you that attack your character. There are going to be things said about you that you can't defend. There are going to be things that are said about you as a person and as a human being that probably aren't true. And people are going to try and take advantage of you. Yes, that is going to happen. But what I am saying is at the end of the day, what God thinks about you is way more important than what anybody else thinks about you. And who God says you are is way more important than what anybody else says about you. What God knows to be true about you is way more important than what anybody else says or thinks about you. And you can go into it and defend yourself, yes. But do so in a posture of humility that asks the question, how does God get glory out of this situation? How does God be honored in this situation? All I'm asking you to do is just check your motives. Check your motives. Do you wish to hurt them just as bad as they hurt you? Would you rather allow God to win or would you rather win? Just some questions there to check your motives. What are your motives saying about who you are? What are your motives saying about, about your approach to conflict? You see, I, I love missionary stories. Uh, how many of you like to read old missionary stories? Man, I got one for you. How many of you have ever heard of the Richardson family? Don and Carol Richardson, they were actually this, this missionary couple to the Sawi people, not the Sorry people, but the Sawi people. And uh, Don and Carol Richardson, they, they went to like uh, Indonesia, to the New Guinea place, and they were reaching out to these tribes. And they finally reached this people group called the Sawi people. And they were there ministering them as missionaries for years and years and years. They sacrificed their, their American livelihood. They said, we're going to leave it all. We're going to this indigenous people group because we want them to hear and know the good news of Jesus Christ. And that as they went to this, this group of people, as they went to the Sawis, and they were a rough bunch, always, always, always in the middle of conflict, always warring with other tribes. They were actually cannibal people. Like, uh, you know what that means. They were rough. And the Richardson family, as they were there with them, they were just battling as missionaries. How are we going to get them to understand the gospel? How are they going to hear and understand the good news of Jesus Christ? And they basically had to come to the point where they were just like, we're just going to have to go home. Like we're not getting through to them. They're not listening to us. They're constantly at war. They're constantly in the middle of conflict as a tribe. How are we ever going to get through to the Sawies? And they were eventually almost to the point where they were ready to pack up and go home. And they tell this story. They tell this story. They were having such a hard time getting through to the Sawies until they heard about this tradition called the Peace Child. Have you ever heard of the Peace Child tradition? The Peace Child. They heard about this mythology within the Sawi tradition within the Sawi tribes that, that they were always constantly at conflict with another tribe. And the only way that they could make peace with other tribes is that they would take up a newborn baby from their own tribe and they would take it to this, to this warring, like this, this 
another tribe that they were in like constant war with, and they would take their own child, and they would take it as a peace offering and say, here, here's our child as a peace offering. And the other tribe would then return, they would do the same exact thing. They would take up one of their newborn babies, and they would present it to the Saulies. And they would raise these kids up. They would raise these peace children up, so to speak, and from there, these tribes would no longer be in conflict with each other. They would no longer be warring with each other. They had made peace by offering these children to each other. And you know why they no longer warred with each other? Because they said that we're family. And you don't fight family. And this missionary family, struggles and all, struggles, though they had a many, and so they finally got through to the Saulies whenever they told them, listen, there is a one true peace child, and his name is Jesus Christ, who was sent down to this earth to, one, make peace between you and your God, who was brought down on this earth because you were a hostile rebel, like on the run. You hated your God and you hated your Creator. And now this, this peace child here, Jesus Christ, is here on your behalf to make peace between you and the Father. But not only does our Jesus Christ do that, Jesus Christ is our peace child for you and me. It's our peace child. And what James is trying to say here to the church at Jerusalem is that Christ has brought together what used to be divided. That Christ has brought together what used to be warring. That Christ has brought together those who were alienated, those who were far, and he's made us into one. It's this beautiful thing called the church. He says, it is my body. It represents me. And he says, I have brought you now together, and you are now family. James is just saying that you don't fight. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Lord, asking for humility and submission that can only be brought about through the Spirit of God. Lord, we are here this morning asking for peace. Lord, in Christ as our peace child can bring such tranquility. He can bring such peace where there used to be division. Lord, I, I just pray right now, God. For the church, the capital C church that you died for, that you shed your blood for, Lord, just as you prayed, Lord, in your high priestly prayer, just before you went on the cross, Lord, I, you, you said, I pray that they might be one and that the world might know them, or that the world might know you through the church. And so much time, Lord, is spent 
going back and forth with brothers and sisters. As our peace child, you've made us family. I pray that each one of us, Lord, myself included, would check our motives and ask ourselves, Lord, in the middle of conflict, Lord, in the middle of strife, in the middle of pain, who do we want to win? Do we want to pat ourselves on the back and have our egos stroked so that we might win and so that we might be respected? Are we humbling ourselves and asking that God Almighty be the one that wins? Humble us, Lord. In Jesus' name. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I don't know if you're in the middle of something. Maybe you are. Just pray that you would take some time where you are this morning, where you're seated. Just ask God to check your motives. Ask God to check your heart. Maybe this morning you're not in conflict with anybody. Maybe this morning you're not hostile with anybody. Listen to me. I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to hear me. Maybe you're not in conflict because you're not in a relationship. That's equally sinful. That's equally divisive. Equally leading to brokenness. Maybe nobody you're, maybe you're not in conflict because nobody knows you. And because you know nobody. That's not family. He's calling you in saying find a home for some of you that's here and you have conflict with brothers and sisters and I just ask that you might find forgiveness for for those of you who might be looking for a home maybe this is it maybe it's not, you need to find it maybe this morning all this sounds confusing and Jesus has peace child and you just know that you got a lot going on inside, you know that you got a lot within you that's just not at peace. Jesus Christ came down so that you might have relationship with your Father, with your Creator. He's come to bring peace there. And if you'll submit yourself and say, I'll follow Him for the rest of my life, He wants to take you on a journey that's worth giving up life for. Whatever He's calling you to do this morning, we pray that you might be faithful and obedient to respond.